On Young Aseo, welcome to Afternoona Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some deck bookie and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. So, um, so remember a few episodes back where Amy talked about how she splurged on Midnight, no, City Hunters and Uncontrollably Fond, yeah. The, the CDs. And she said, you know, I did it. I spent the money. Well, so that's how I felt today. I bought some K-pop albums today. <laughs> so while this isn't K-drama, it's definitely K-drama adjacent. Um, I started listening to K-pop before I got into K-dramas. I really love ATs. I've mentioned them in my K-pop recs um, before, and they were on the show Kingdom um, this year. So anyway, they have a comeback in September, which if you don't know K-pop lingo, because I didn't before, comeback is basically like what they call a single. It's so funny. I love the terms. Anyway, so... (laughs) Um, oh, another thing about K-pop that is interesting to me is that all their albums have several different versions because K-pop albums are like a whole thing. I mean, it's like a box of goodies in this. You know what I mean? I just it's just funny to me because I used to save up money just to buy like an Alanis Morissette CD at Borders that was like sixteen dollars. And it just had the track list and maybe some lyrics if you were lucky. But like, that's it. OK, that's all you got was the jewel case with with the piece of paper inside. And these K-pop albums have like just massive amounts of stuff and pictures and posters. I'm a sucker and I couldn't decide which version I wanted of their new of their next album which is Fever Part 3. Cuz how it works is like each album is sort of like a different theme, you know? And I sort of felt like I was missing out <laughs> if I didn't get all the themes. So, because I'm 38 and an adult with disposable income, I spent $80 today. <laughs> Are they different songs? No. Oh, it's the extent So you just wanted the swag. That's fine. I basically <laughs> just wanted all the different swag. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm not sorry about it. <laughs> I'm truly not. Um, I'm very excited. I still can't believe I spent $80 on all of it, but on the on three albums that are exactly the same, but all the booklets and stuff will be different. But I was kind of like, you know what? They worked really hard this year and probably a lot of their fans are teenagers who can't spend a lot of money. So I took it But you can't. Actually, I'm going to do, I'm just going to do you a solid ATS yeah. who clearly needs another meal. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm going to do my part to help get you on the billboard charts. Okay. And buy three of your albums. And yeah, I'm really excited. So obviously it's pre-ordered. Like I haven't gotten it yet. And I think probably by the time this episode comes out, the album will have already been released. Well, maybe do an unboxing for us because now I'm Oh, curious. I will. Oh my god. I totally, I'll probably put it on our Instagram stories. I am so pumped about it. Um, I just love them. Their content has been very fun this year, uh, which, you know, is still a crappy year for, like, the world. So, um, yeah. So anyway, I pulled an Amy and I spent a stupid amount of money <laughs> The heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah. Yeah. On the exact three scenes. Sorry. No judgment here at all. 
I also, you know, before we start, I want to give a shout out today to um, my husband, Nick, because I have been telling him how he features a lot in the shows with me bitching about him and he doesn't mm-hmm. listen. So he doesn't know. And mm-hmm. he was on a, a donor trip last weekend. And I guess he was like telling some folks, you know, on this trip about the podcast and if they were going to be tuning in or not. And I was like, well, before you start to like tell people to watch, <laughs> like to listen in, you should know that like I talk some shit about you. And he was like, like what? And so today I played him because um, the ship it came out. And so it was all about how we did the TikTok, and he was disdainful. <laughs> and then there was like this whole part where he was working on his like scientific book chapter. And Amy was like, is there boning in it? And he was like, I would like you to let Amy and Megan <laughs> and your listeners know that yes, there is boning in it because I am talking about bird mating (laughs) (laughs) and their cloacas touching each other (laughs) that is amazing thank you nick i actually told neil you so you i think talked i think it was just lap episode about how uh you found like a box of his t-shirt scraps (laughs) yep and i told neil and he just looked like he looked at me like that was perfectly normal i was like you are you don't think that's weird and he's just like no i'm like what what how could like maybe it's a man thing i don't know maybe i mean who knows the mysteries that go on in male minds yeah anyway and speaking of mysteries that go on male minds i think that's a great segue <laughs> where we're headed for today without googling we're gonna we're gonna do something really different right now i'm gonna do um a little quiz for you too so without googling you you both saw this ahead of time but i am holding you to the honor system here can you name the movie based on the quotes below and i'll even give you the names of the people who say them now leah and megan have seen these briefly already but for our listeners out there i hope that you're guessing along so i'm gonna give you some quotes so i'm gonna do i'm gonna do the first quote and then we'll see if you guys know what movie it's from and then i'll go on to the second one because the last one i'm going to try an impression it's not going to be good but i'm going to try it so here's the first one i'm too old for this shit and the person who says it is Roger Murtaugh. I literally have no idea what the fuck this is. <laughs> so I will admit the name of the movie escaped me, but I knew it was the buddy cop movie with Mel Gibson. I just couldn't think of the title at first. So I did have to Google the title. So what's the title? Lethal Weapon. That is correct. <laughs> which is a little bit before my time, which is part of the... It's 80s. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, I'm going... I'm going 80s and early 90s. Well, years, 80s though. is yeah. the best eight buddy cop movies. But I mean, like, freaking Cobra is, I think, the same age as, like, <laughs> Lethal Weapon. Oh my God, just look keep, that up. Just keep going. <laughs> Get There's this no list. Van Damme movies in my I'm list here. so mad. I know. Okay. I um, should I go PG-13 here, or should I go full out? Just go for it. All right. yippee Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> no. I don't Bye. know what this is. I knew it before you even said... Who said it? By right. John McClane. It's Die Hard. Duh. Yep. It's like icon- iconic. And Leah's like, I hate this. <laughs> All right. Now back up, put the gun down, and get me a pack of tropical fruit bubblicious. And that was said by Mike Lowry. So I admit, I didn't remember the exact quote, but as soon as you said Mike Lowry, I knew it was Bad Boys. Correct. With it, Mill Smith and Martin. Yeah. Lawrence. And then afterwards, uh, Martin. Lawrence's character says, and some Skittles. <laughs> I love them. 
All right, here we go. Amy's going to try and do an impression now. It's going to be bad, but it's going to be fun. (laughs) I'm one of those fortunate people who like my job, sir. Got my first (laughs) chemistry set when I was seven. Blew my eyebrows off. We never saw the cat again. Been into it ever since. That's Stanley Goodspeed. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) So (laughs) I will say for this one, I did not know. And I didn't recognize the name and I'm ashamed because as soon as I Googled it, I've seen this movie three times and it's and the, it rock. Is the rock with and who plays Stanley Goodspeed. Nicholas Cage. Cage. <laughs> so wait, it's the rock in what? No, the movie no. is called the rock. The rock. <laughs> like Alcatraz. You live in California. You've heard of it, she right? I thought it was Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's uh it's it's Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. And it is epic. It is it's so it's, good. It's, it's so all about it's it ha- it it takes place on Alcatraz. And Ed Harris is the bad guy, and I love Ed Harris oh, as a bad so guy. Good. He's awesome. And he is holding he's holding hostages on Alcatraz. They're tourists who are going to see Alcatraz, and he's holding them hostage for like kind of a good reason. Like it's it's to get, isn't it to get like um vets like paid money that they're due or something like that like it's something like uh, kind of altruistic but like in a bad way and so he's holding these people hostage so they bring in stanley goodspeed because he is a chemical weapons expert because the weapons that ed harris has are these it's chemical warfare and basically if one of these beads like explodes in your presence you your skin just melts off your body And they're these like these like glowing green, green orbs, green. yeah. And they're in this like canister, and you have to slowly take it out. And and if like the whole thing, like if all the beads at once, I mentioned this later in the podcast. But if all the beads explode at once, like it would like take out the coast of California. So we're talking like you know millions of people would would die. So it's very it's a huge deal. Sean Connery is at his peak. That I mean, body cop between. Between Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery, come on. And Sean Connery's not a cop. He's a former prisoner from Oh, you're the Rock. right. So he he's knows So he knows the place inside and out. Like he's a prisoner. Like they get him out of jail to, to He do is this. so not amused. I forgot he's a former prisoner. I remember how when they take him out and he's like covered in the white hair. He's like totally grizzled. What I can guarantee is that Nick has seen every single one of these. So I'm going to <laughs> quiz him tonight because he will answer these all correctly. I, I would really like it if you would have him watch Midnight Runners. Like you watched that I tried together. to get him to watch it the other night. You should watch The Rock together. That's The what Rock I is super fun. It's going to yeah. be cheesy as hell because it's from the 90s. But oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. It's, it's Nicolas Cage in the 90s. And you can't beat that. Okay, let's keep, let's keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I can't believe I, I just tried to do Nick Cage. I was actually more doing Andy Samberg on Saturday Night Live. Oh my Live god, that was Nick, Nick Cage. Cage. Oh, I didn't even realize that was Nick Cage. I was trying to do <laughs> yep. Nick Cage. Yeah. Stanley Goodspeed's good old Nick Cage. Yeah. I cuz I can totally hear him saying this, but of course I can't like do it, you know, Me too. correctly. Anyway, so Cage? what do all these quotes have in common other than bringing extreme anger to Leah? <laughs> That's right. They come from cop movies, American cop movies, and many of them buddy cop movies. Why, in a podcast about Korean dramas, are we leading off with quotes from American buddy cop movies? First, it's because I, Amy, want to make it clear that this is not Leah speaking right now, (laughs) am a fan of buddy cop or buddy cop type of movies. I'd add to the list Speed, 48 Hours, Tango and Cash, 
Men in Black, and The Heat, just to name a few. Second, it's because this week we are talking about the best buddy cop pairing in K-drama land, in a Korean film actually, Park Seo-joon and Kang Han-ul in Midnight Runners. So let's toss out a non-spoilery reaction to pairing these two together in a movie. What are the first three words that come to mind when you think of Midnight Runners? Passion, tenacity, big heart. (laughs) So I'm kind of kidding. If you've seen the movie, you'll get why these three words are funny. But anyway, I would say my real three words are fun, romance, and action, which are truly three of my favorite things in just about any movie. And I would like to state for the official Afternoon of Delight record that Speed, Men in Black, and every other movie that Amy just named is a hard pass for me. I have less than 0% interest. (laughs) I'm like not even yucking a yum. I'm just not even going to sit at the table. And yet, here we are today. (laughs) So for me, my words are upside down sit-ups. I mean, that's it. That's the reason. And if I can add a fourth word, it would be sweaty upside down sit ups. And if I can add a fifth, it would be sweaty shirtless upside down sit ups. Totally. And I I just want to add just for our listeners that Midnight Runners was Leah's choice. (laughs) No, I mean, there's I'm and I'm fine with that. But the reason why Leah even came to it had nothing to do with it being a buddy cop movie. No, it's just amusing to me because (laughs) like. This is like Amy and I, this is our jam and it's not Leah's, but yet it was like Leah's choice just because of Kong Han which is yeah. totally fair. Totally fair. fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I couldn't come up with anything better than what you said, Leah, except for adding like who was sweaty and shirtless. So I said sweaty shirtless Park Seo-joon because Valid. really that's, that is the number one box office draw, I think for me when it comes to this movie. I did tweet that we were recording the Midnight Runners uh, episode and that it would absolutely not be 30 minutes of us talking about Park Seo Joon's workout montage as like, you know, a joke. And like all the responses were like, but why not? Like, that's what we want to hear about. That's just very funny. So we're not the only ones. No, of course. I mean, like I said, box office draw. Yeah. Have either of you seen the American film Midnight Run? I have not. Okay. (laughs) I didn't think this is like, (laughs) this is also earlier 80s too. Um. So it's the first thing I thought of when I heard the title of this Korean film, because obviously that's really close, right? Like Midnight Run, Midnight Runners. So for anyone not familiar with the American one, Midnight Run is the story of an FBI bounty hunter played by Robert De Niro tasked with collecting his hundred grand fee for capturing and returning a former mafia accountant played by Charles Grodin, who has jumped bail. In order to get his money, De Niro's character Jack needs to get the Duke, Grodin, from New York to L.A. But of course, the trip is far from smooth sailing as the FBI and the mafia are all after the Duke as well and have their own plans of how they're going to bring him in. So it's everybody after the same guy and Robert De Niro trying to keep him safe and get him to L.A. just so he can collect his money. So while it's not a buddy cop movie, it's definitely a buddy movie, the enemies to buddies type. And the only reason I bring it up is because Jason Kim, the director of the Korean film Midnight Runners, went to Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., which means the guy has to have an interest in Western cinema, right? I can't find anything to the effect of whether or not he is a fan of the American Midnight Run, but the similarity in the title, the time constraint aspect of both films, and the unlikely BFFs makes me think that Kim is a fan of the 1988 blockbuster, and I don't blame him because I really enjoyed it. This is all just to say, listeners, if you know of a connection between the two, reach out and fill us in. 
I don't know about you two, but I always love when we're able to sort of lessen the degrees of separation between us and the K-dramas and K-cinema that we love. So I I love when I can find something. I don't know if it's like an Easter egg or some sort of crossover between East and West. It makes me happy. Mm -hmm. Totally. I have not seen that, but now I kind of want to. I think you would really like it. I mean, Robert De Niro is like a grumpy bounty hunter. Right. I love Robert De Niro. Yeah. Well, does Leah like Robert De Niro? (laughs) She's like, she's like, who, who is he? No, I know who he is. I liked him in Meet the Fockers when he talks about getting milk. You know, I got nipples. Can you milk me, Fucker? Oh my <laughs> meet god! The I parents love is the first meet the parents. One. Meet the parents. Meet the Fockers is the next one, right? Yeah. Of his body of work, and that's the one you you know. I know. Him the most. I know. It's so funny. It's so <laughs> Leah. It's so Leah. But Midnight Runners is is a, is like an eighties classic. So Megan, I I uh, I recommend it big time. Yeah. So, since we're talking about a film rather than a drama tonight, there's not much to discuss without spoiling. So, we're going to get into it and get into the spoiler section. Kang Hanul as a bird-flipping dick. Park Seo-joon, basically as Kodong Man at the police academy. A race up a mountain gone wrong. A night at a nightclub gone right. A kidnapping. Two not-yet-police officers trying to save the less fortunate. Upside-down, shirtless sit-ups dangling from a punching bag sexy ear cleaning and a whole lot of ass kicking sadly not by our heroes but of our heroes what does it all add up to the buddy cop romance we never knew we needed midnight runners so before we get down to the nitty-gritty tell me the truth what stuck with you more the story or those few seconds of park so june doing the sit-ups yeah, I love this movie, but sweaty, panting, shirtless Park Seo Joon taking a break after a workout in perfectly dim lighting to highlight all his uh, angles will remain in my head forever and ever. Amen. And I even found a gif of it and tweeted it. Just, you're welcome. <laughs> so, yeah, the scene was a gift from the movie Gods. But beyond that, honestly, the thing that lives with me is Kaha Newell trying to smile. So precious. <laughs> oh. So... Megan, I love that you found a GIF of it because yeah. that's literally how long the scene is. It is basically GIF length. Like that's it of him doing those setups on that punching bag. But it lives rent free in my mind on repeat over and over and over again. So, I mean, I came to this movie the same reason that Leah did because of who is in it. And while I do think that the story held throughout and was very well plotted and all that fun stuff not the reason I came to the movie and it's not the reason I'll be coming back to it. It's more for the visuals. According to Ki-Joon, Park Seo-Joon's character, Hee-Yul's or Kang Han-Nul's mouth is too big. So Ki-Joon coaches him on how to smile with less teeth so he doesn't freak girls out at the nightclub that night. Thoughts on Ki-Joon's assessment? Okay, so I love it because I didn't know this was the next question when I was talking about Kang Han-Nul's trying to smile above. But Here's the thing. Kahan Newell has a huge mouth. It's like a freaking Pez dispenser. And I cannot get enough. And I really just appreciated that in this film, both these guys are just hot as shit and yet comfortable playing such absolute goobers who have zero game. So case in point, I love seeing Kahan Newell and his big ass mouth deciding to lurk outside the girl's bathroom at the nightclub. And in the wrong hands, this would have been absolutely creepy. But instead, he plays it off as just being completely clueless. And, you know, if I saw that big mouth boy at the club, this Nuna would be all ready to clean out his ears on my lap. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. 
So before watching Midnight Runners, <laughs> this is a leading question if I ever saw one. Were you a fan of buddy cop movies? I mean, really? And if yes, does this film fit well within the genre? And if no, has your opinion changed after watching this buddy cop movie? I had no one in particular in mind when I wrote that question. I don't know what you're getting at. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as I've said, I love, love, love buddy cop movies. I mean, I kind of, I would say I kind of grew up on them. Bad Boys is one of my favorite action movie franchises. Not as good as John Wick, but you know, close. Midnight Runners hit all the right buddy cop notes to me. It hit all the beat. It gave me almost like a Western buddy cop movie feel. So there was the initial hostility between the two leads, the begrudging friendship, the bonding over wanting to get laid. Then there was the embarrassing beatdown, the rally complete with a workout montage, and then the eventual victory. You know, I mean, it's just perfect. I truly felt like it was really, really well plotted. And as I have stated now, I'm just, I'm a hard no on the buddy cop movies. I think I actually might like this genre less than zombies. In fact, I know I do. I would much rather watch a zombie movie than a buddy cop movie. And like, give me an 80s buddy cop movie. I don't even know. I think I would rather like get a planter's wart. (laughs) (laughs) So however, Park So June and my Forever Bay Kong Ha Newell I'm here for this because they have such good chemistry together. And really, this movie has no romance, but like, who needs a romance? They were the romance, and I shipped them together. 100%. Did not need literally any other type of relationship. They were the relationship. I think that is a testament to a really good buddy cop movie. For those of us that love romance, there are buddy cop movies that do also have like side romances, and that's fine. But really, a great buddy cop movie... All you care about is the relationship between the two cops. And this totally hit all the right notes. And look, I wrote a script chock full of buddy cop movie references. So I think it's safe to say that this is clearly on brand for me. Okay, so at the heart of this film are two young men who want to be police officers who witness a kidnapping before they've actually finished the academy. They are taught in class that the first seven hours after a kidnapping are crucial, that if the kidnapper is going to kill the victim, it will happen within those first seven hours. But when they try to let the law take care of the situation, they learn that all the bureaucratic red tape will have to go through in order to catch the kidnapper will take much longer than seven hours. So they decide to take matters into their own hands and save the day. What's your take on their decision as far as basically being vigilantes? Do you think bureaucracy gets in the way of the law? I mean, I work at a institution of higher learning. So I think I can say with authority that I think bureaucracy gets in the way of most things in life. But yet it's also really sort of important. And I think that their boss at the police academy or like their head teacher, who's played really well by Reply Series and Hospital Playlist actor Sung Dong Il, he sums that aspect up for them in the show. Like he sympathizes with their frustrations, but also is very clear that there's a process and that process is there for the good of the whole. However, you know, that process might also disadvantage the one who in this case is like getting their eggs illegally harvested. (laughs) So, you know, I think it's good to have passion and care and have those big hearts. And, but I do think that like there were some well-handled philosophical aspects here that sort of elevate it to me from a lowbrow action movie. And yes, that makes me sound like a snobby asshole and that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, here's the thing in real life, they would have gotten killed like hands down. They would have died, like terribly. Uh, I mean, at one point, they're strung up by their hands about to get their organs harvested. They made a terrible decision in real life. But in a movie, 
it was perfect. I really think that this movie does go farther than like a quote, you know, cop movie as being about, you know, doing what you feel compelled to do and sticking to what you feel is right. And it, sure, it might be a simple message, but these two clearly were meant to be police officers and they had huge hearts and they really cared. And I loved it. I know. they. I mean, that that's the whole thing. Like we don't watch movies to see things portrayed as they would happen in real life. So I like that assessment, Megan, that like, yeah, if they, if they really tried this. It would have ended so badly. I can't stress enough how badly they get their asses handed to them. First of all, in the, their first attempt at rescuing the girls. And then in their second, when they do finally do it, but they still like, they are broken and battered, you know, by the end of it. And like, that really would have killed them in real life. But it didn't because it was a movie and because they're the good guys and they're going to come out on top and we love watching them win. But I also did like that sort of realistic aspect to it that like we didn't get this workout montage. Then all of a sudden they walked in there with like tasers and batons and kicked ass like they walked in there with tasers and batons and still got their asses kicked, but still Mm -hmm. ended up winning in the end. Lee, I like your assessment as well. This idea that we hate all the red tape that we have to go through a lot of times, but without that, it would be a free for all. And we need there needs to be oversight, especially in something like law enforcement. Yeah. You know, like something as big as that, like it can't just be you act when you want to act and, you know, there's no consequences because then we're getting like, you know, we talk about like vigilantes, we're getting, you know, like superheroes and stuff like that. And as much as I love me, you know, my Marvel movies, one of the big issues in, if I may bring a reference in Captain America Civil War, is that the superheroes are being held accountable by the government and they're supposed to sign these accords that say that they are not going to act without oversight and they don't agree on it. And so that's why there is a literal civil war between the Avengers on either side. So yeah, I mean, it's it's important. Bureaucracy is annoying, but it's important in a lot of situations where I think people's safety are an issue, you know? Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. Well, now it's time for our favorite segment, our K recommendation of the week. And Megan is back with another K-pop rec. So actually, this is mostly inspired by Leah. She mentioned that she had been listening uh, to Jesse, and I thought, oh, gotta put Jess on the playlist then. Uh, so I'm gonna actually talk about her latest, which is called What Type of X. Uh, and again, this is by Jesse. It's J-E-S-S-I. She's a solo artist. Jesse's been around for a long time in the industry. She's in her 30s. She has a kind of like a talk show on YouTube called Showterview. And I adore it. She interviews actors and pop stars. And it's just really cute because almost all the all the K-pop boys call her Nuna because she's older. And it's just, she has the best personality. Uh, Jesse was born in New Jersey and is very much a Jersey girl. And I feel like I can say that as I have relatives who are from New Jersey and I live very close to New Jersey. She's just fantastic. She just has such a fun attitude and I adore her. And her music is very bold, mm-hmm. especially if you listen to the lyrics of What Type of X. I think originally it was What Type of Bitch or, or something to, to that effect. She's, she's bold, she's out there. She's a beautiful singer and a fantastic rapper. And I really think you should put her on your playlist, but she will be on the Afternoona Delight playlist for you to check out. So again, it's What Type of X by Jessie. And then can you just tell listeners if they do want to listen to K-pop recommendations, what do they search for on Spotify to find the playlist? Yeah, you just search for Afternoona Delight and you will find our playlist. I do post it on our Instagram periodically, so it's usually there as well. So Leah already mentioned Sung Gong Il of the Reply series. 
and also hospital playlist fame. He plays a dad in Reply and one of An Jung Wan's priest brothers in hospital playlist. And is Professor Yang, Kijun and Heol's teacher and mentor at the academy who tries to help them with the kidnapping, warns them against taking the law into their own hands as civilians, and saves them from getting expelled at the end. Basically, he's a top-notch Ajusi in all roles mentioned above. But the first role that I, Amy, ever saw him in was as a serial killer in Legend of the Blue Sea. So my question for you is twofold. One, can you picture him as a baddie? And two, do you like it when actors can play both a hero and a villain a la Lee Dong-wook in Goblin and Touch Your Heart versus Strangers from Hell? Yeah, so I didn't know this and I can completely picture him taking on a darker role. And now I can't wait to see him in Legend of the Blue Sea, which we're deep diving later this year. So it's on my watch list for sure. And I absolutely adore when actors take varied roles. I had so much more respect for Lee Dong-wook after I saw him in Strangers from Hell as a completely, completely convincing, creepy serial killer. Cannibalistic dentist. (laughs) Watch, listen to our pod on Strangers from Hell. It's still one of my faves. Me too. (laughs) So getting to the meat of the... (laughs) Sorry. So yeah, I think I'm curious to see Song Dong-il go dark because I do feel like he kind of plays... In the Reply series that I've seen so far, he's kind of not a buffoon, but definitely is like a ham. And I feel like he has a little more heart, but is still a ham in Hospital Playlist. And so he was a little more nuanced in Midnight Runners. And so I feel like that gives me some confidence that he could pull off. He wasn't dark in this by any stretch, but I felt like he was just a little bit more serious. Whereas in Reply, he's like a straight comedic, you know, just plays all the like funny beats. So yeah, I'm into watching that. But for me, I love that Lee Dong-wook played that total baddie. So I'm glad you just asked that question out of the blue because it gave me the opportunity to reflect on him as a murderer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the problem is, is that, you know, and I think we've talked about this before, it's so much more conflicting, at least for me on a personal note, when I find that the villain is totally bangable as opposed to, let's say, an old man with a seriously hairy mole looking at you healer (laughs) (laughs) so i'm a little conflicted by this because i think it's great when an actor shows range but like do i want to see my american bay chris evans eat human meat just to show me range i do not i would love that i would hands down love to see chris evans be (laughs) oh my god cannibal me too oh my god that'd be amazing could you see him i could i i think chris evans does have range Oh, I do too. I just don't want to see that much range. <laughs> oh, in um, Snowpiercer, the movie Snowpiercer, to me, he was just very transformative. Like I could see, you know, he's got range. I, he wasn't a villain in, in Snowpiercer, but it was just, it was definitely like completely not a Captain America role. So um, I would love to see him in something dark as like dark, gritty villain. That'd be amazing. And you know that Snowpiercer was um, directed by Bong, Joon, Bong Joon-ho too. Yes, and that's actually one of the reasons I started watching it was because I knew it was it was directed by yeah the guy who who did Train to Busan, right? Well, he did Parasite. Oh, he did Parasite. That's it. Snowpiercer was so freaking weird. That's all I can say about Snowpiercer. But it was Chris Evans in a super 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 weird role. And I haven't seen that, so I don't know. Yeah, and that just sold me big time to watch that. Oh, it's. I mean, I'm just saying it's really weird. I think Chris Evans really could pull off weird 
like he does do that all American really well, but I do think mm-hmm. he is a good actor. And like, I don't really have the lust for him. Like I know Amy, it's like Amy, uh, one of Amy's fictional husbands. Like I don't have, I don't have it for Chris Evans, but I certainly, I like him. And I think he's, I think he's a good actor. I actually feel like if you saw him in Snowpiercer, you'd have kind of like a new different look on, on him in a, in a respectful way, just because of how much he put into that role. I think he had to lose weight for it. It's a lot of like classism references in that movie anyway. I was going to say, if we're going to throw in, you know, just some some range stuff, he also has a movie called Before We Go, which is like a little indie. I don't want to say romance for sure, but it's like a love story because it's an interesting thing and it's a ambiguous ending, but I loved it. And he also directed it. And oh, he, good for him. Yeah. And he plays a, a musician, uh, a saxophone player, I think it is, going to have an audition, I think, in the morning and has a run-in with a woman late at night who has lost her purse has like got mugged like lost everything and she needs to get home like she needs to get on the next train home and she can't and he agrees to help her like track down her purse and get her purse back and get her home and so it's like this one night of these two people these two strangers getting to know each other you find out they have very complicated backstories and stuff and in another life they would have been perfect for each other but they're both in these really weird situations right now and it's I say it's not necessarily a romance but it's very romantic and it's Alice Eve who um, who plays opposite him. And it was a really great, like I bought it on Amazon because I loved it so much. And now I think it's like free on like, because I have like a million streaming services to like save money right. to not have cable, right? And now I pay for everything. But anyway, we digress a lot here. And so yeah, we'll get away, okay. get away from Chris Evans and back to Midnight <laughs> Runners. So let's talk bad guys in Midnight Runners because this is all really interesting to me. Our heroes witness a kidnapping, but this is no random act. Instead, the young woman they kidnap is a known runaway who will be used to harvest and sell her eggs. Yes, her ova to H Fertility Clinic. In fact, these baddies had a whole slew of girls whose eggs they were illegally harvesting and selling. I did a little digging to see if this is a rampant problem in South Korea and found one article dating back to 2005 on Independent Online, a South African web news site that states, South Korean police have made their first arrest under a new bioethics law, capturing a man they suspect illegally sold human eggs to infertile couples in South Korea and Japan. There's another article posted in the Korean Herald from 2011 titled Sperm and Egg Trade, Surrogacy Back in Spotlight. This article reveals a man who arranged surrogacies for infertile couples. There are no black and white laws surrounding surrogacy in South Korea, but in two surrogacy cases mentioned in this article, it's revealed that the surrogates used their own eggs along with the donor father's sperm, thereby resulting in the quote-unquote sale of their eggs since they were paid for the surrogacy and then the babies were going to the other couple. This is all just to say that while horrified by the film's portrayal of kidnapping as a means to traffic in human ova, it's not as far-fetched as it might seem on first glance. Do you think the film was able to balance the buddy cop comedy aspect well with such a serious and horrific conflict? This is why I love buddy cop movies so much, because the friendship gives some wholesomeness to what is typically a pretty dark and dangerous external conflict and plot. Bad Boys is about Will Smith and Martin Lawrence hunting down major drug dealers while getting shot at on the run with a key witness. In The Rock, a scientist and a former prisoner team up to prevent a massive explosion that could take out a whole portion of the California coast. What makes these movies so enjoyable to watch are the comedic moments between the friends like in the midst of this, you know, very dangerous plot. So Kijun calling the cops pigs and making them chase him through the streets. 
so they didn't raid the ear cleaner salon where he Yul was trying to gain information on the missing girl was downright great comedy. When they are hanging from their hands about to have their organs cut out and he Yul hawks a loogie on Kijun to wake him up. Just amazing. So like, just, I cannot <laughs> with your love of the buddy cops. I mean, sometimes I just find it truly amazing that we are friends who sometimes have tastes that genuinely align. I know it is amazing. It, it's amazing. <laughs> but that being said, I loved watching Kijun eating his sausage in the 7-Eleven or like loving sausage at the police academy, just loving sausage <laughs> in general. And then, but yeah, he's in the, he's in 7-Eleven eating his ramen, eating his sausage because he'd been doing the stakeout and then watches like somebody else eat it through the window and starts like licking his lips. I mean, he's just so funny and it's so stupid but it's like he's so cute and funny that it's like whatever it's fine so yeah i do love that he's like in there eating away and then the cops show up and he's all like shit i gotta save my buddy but i don't know how i still find kahong nul hot after watching him hawk a loogie on park so june <laughs> to me that's the true mystery and like the question i want to ponder but you know at the end of the day i like this film i didn't love it it's not an all-time fave but to me, the leads are so much fun. They really are so talented, so cute. And honestly, I would watch them in anything, including a zombie flick. I'd actually love watching them in a zombie flick together. They would be amazing in a zombie flick. Like a dark comedy. Like, oh, I think they yes. need to be funny. Yeah. Yeah, bring it. Bring it to mm-hmm. us. I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, I mean, I think that is kind of the hallmark of buddy cop movies is you have to have a serious scenario for you know the law enforcement to like be in hot pursuit kind of thing but then you need you have that balance of the comedy and the comedy has to come at the right times and it does every time in here it's never at a point where we're dealing with these poor kidnapped girls whose you know Mm -hmm. eggs and possible other organs if their eggs aren't producing correctly are going to be harvested and speaking of the harvesting scene not just the loogie scene but to give us you know more eye candy so we had like a few seconds of park to june doing his sit-ups on the punching bag and then we also get a few seconds of when they are hanging from the ceiling in this you know warehouse or whatever where their organs are about to be harvested and park zeo june uses his core to flip upside down <laughs> put his feet on the ceiling to unhook his hands from the hook on which he's hanging so that he can then drop down and save Kang Hanul. Like, come on. I mean, he's just such a blue-collar, dumb-lug babe in this. Like, I want to see him in, like, a gray hoodie, drinking a beer, watching a game. And then, I don't know, like, he just... Sorry, I'm just getting this into, like, my own little, like, fantasy. It's okay. I just, I just love that all Megan knows of him is Itawan class and Fight For My Way and this. And she hasn't seen Secretary Kim, or she was pretty where he's a chable as well. That's right. Like it's going to be a shock to the system. I to know see it him is like that. because I love him. I, I think this type of role, this like Kodong man like role will always be my fave. I just, I just think he plays it to perfection. He does. And I have to agree. The comedic moments in this were so perfectly placed and so well done. And I really adored that. It just made me so happy. Here's a wag of the finger I have is that we have all this like Park So Jun. Well, not all this, but, you know, we get some clear and it's not even female gaze. I feel like this was a very masculine movie with like a male gaze. But, you know, they knew what they were working with a little bit. They gave some for like the folks that would like to see that. But then how come Kong Han just like runs around with a big stick? (laughs) (laughs) 
like I'm not saying the big stick doesn't have its benefits, but like it just didn't have the same whatever. I don't even know what the word I'm looking for. Well, he had two big sticks. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, he's got three big sticks, presumably. But. Oh, God, <laughs> They did give him two big sticks to just beat people with. It was pretty great. Yeah, and that's fine. And like, you know, they talked about how at the beginning of the Academy, like you could choose what martial art form you were going to take on and stuff. And that's fine. Like I'm saying, I don't mind him having the big sticks. Mm-hmm. I just could have stood. I mean, this is where the female gaze aspect, like they just didn't fully, you know, they had a full toolbox right. and they were good at using some of the tools. Yeah, Park Seo Joon was not the only eye candy. And they yeah. needed to understand that. And I'm just such a fan of the Kong Ha Newell aspect that, you know, I was just like, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> yeah. He was so cute. Oh, man. Oh, so cute. So speaking of cute, let's lighten things back up here instead of talking about egg harvesting. So you can only have one, the fun-loving, shirtless, sit-up-doing Kijun, played by Park Seo-joon, or the straight-laced, bespectacled, kind of a dick at first, and smiles too big, Heol, played by Kong Ha Newell, who... Do you choose? Uh, I love them both, but I saw too much of Dong Man, who's my favorite, in Kijun to choose anyone but him. I just love goofy, jacked Park Seo Joon all day, every day. Yeah, I mean, jacked Park Seo Joon is unreal, but I am never, ever, ever going to quit Kong Ha Newell or his big mouth, and in this movie, his spectacles. <laughs> the best. I mean, I love them both too, but I'll toss this one to Kong Ha Newell because why have we not discussed what great things that giant mouth might be capable of? Amy, Woo! that's like a Leah line. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's good at taking directions, I would say, when it matters. Yeah. He would be. Like he would, 100%. He Yule getting his ears cleaned while he lays his head in the lap of a sexy ear cleaner, all in the name of saving the kidnapped girl and bringing the egg traffickers to justice, of course. Let's discuss. All I want to say is that I, too, would like to get my ears cleaned while resting my head on a consenting adult woman's lap. It sounds kind of delightful. This whole scene where they, you know, for those of you who are listening who don't mind, who haven't seen it, but don't mind spoilers, there's a scene where Kong Ha Newell's character has to go undercover. Well, not even undercover. He just has to go and try to get some information at the place where this kidnapped girl worked. That night. That night, yeah. That like night. She worked like 20 minutes before. She was hit in the head with a pipe and shoved in a car. So he goes in and like, you know, right away, there's like something sexy going on, like the lighting, the vibe of the place, like it's dodgy in a basement and you're not really sure what's going on. And then he goes in this room, sits down and this lady who is very attractive and dressed rather provocatively and has a tray of tools sits down and he puts his head on her lap and you realize that like all the little tools are ear cleaners. And she proceeds to begin to clean his ears while he lays on her lap. And I was like, sexy ear cleaning. I have so many questions about this. So I did a little bit of digging around to try to figure out like, what were we seeing here? Because, you know, coming from this westernized, very American perspective, look, this could very well be happening like all over town. And I'm just not aware of like this underground like kink thing, but... (laughs) You know, I feel like I would have heard of it somewhere or seen it somewhere. So, you know, first of all, few areas of the human body, I feel like, are as vulnerable as the human ear, right? So even just like the act of putting your head down on someone's lap and letting them get into your own ear, there's a lot there. But to take this gross but interesting, 
there's also two types of earwax. <laughs> so apparently genetics kind of determine what type you have, but it's also connected to race. So according to chemist Catherine Prokop Prig in a article I was reading, if you would describe yourself, say, as white or black, then your earwax is probably yellow and sticky. But if you would identify as East Asian or Native American, your earwax is likely to be more dry and white. So I identify as white and I would say my earwax is yellow and sticky. If you are East Asian and feel like this is incorrect, I do apologize. I'm just going with what they're talking about here. And interestingly, it also appears that earwax type and underarm odor may share a genetic connection because East Asians also tend to have a genetic reprieve from smelly underarms. I've heard this too. I've heard this exact correlation. So I am with you on this. Yeah. So something with the gene is affecting both the fact that they have a lack of smelly underarms, which I'm very jealous about, and a lack of sticky earwax. So, okay. So the whole point of this, though, is that our white person sticky earwax adheres to cotton swabs, whereas the dry earwax common among East Asian people does not. So this warrants something that is called in Japanese, I believe it's mimikaki. And these are like the tools of the trade that this lady is using in this ear cleaning salon. And they consist of things like bamboo or metal scoops, shovels, and picks that can like pick and pull that dry flaky earwax out. And using these kind of tools, having a partner perform the act is a bit safer than performing it out alone. And apparently in Japan, there are places you can go and do this and there's different levels of doing it. So it's primarily a woman or a woman, you know, identified person who would be the ear cleaner. And it's usually men, although apparently women can come in or as well and get their ears cleaned. And it's supposed to be kind of like an act of regressive mothering or something. However, you can also have then salons that apparently can offer more of what I believe might happen in this club, which is some level of sexual pleasure. So you maybe that you could like touch a boob or something. And that's what kind of seemed to be happening at this club. Like it didn't seem like it was like full going into like prostitution, but it looked like you could like get a little grabby sometimes. And then apparently you can get into some places in Japan where they can like offer more services too. So anyway, there's like a range in this. And in Japan is where apparently it looks like it's more popular and common. I didn't find much that showed it being in Korea. That certainly doesn't mean it can't be in South Korea, but it seems to be more of like a common thing in Japan. That is fascinating. Thank you for the research, Leah. Thanks. And look, like I said, this was a cursory internet search. So if you know more about ear cleaning, honestly, I don't know why because it is gross, but I find it interesting. (laughs) You know, let us know. Delight podcast at gmail.com. If you have something to add to this, we will share it on the show or just be happy to learn something. Yeah. So any final thoughts about the film? Would you watch it again? Yeah. So I noticed a cameo when I watched it, but then I forgot about it until Black Girl Soul, which that's the city soul, who actually also has a K-drama podcast, so you can look her up, uh, mentioned it to me on Twitter. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I wanted to mention that on the pod. So now I am. So Ryu kyung Su who plays an ex-gangster and critical employee of Park Seo-joon's Park Seo-wee in Itaewon class, is the one who buzzes the boy's hair at the beginning of the movie. So he basically plays this annoyed, just trying to do my job employee. It's a great scene because Park Seo-joon is very concerned about his lack of sideburns, while Kong Han-nul questions the <laughs> sterilization of the Clippers. 
But it was just a cool little, I mean, I don't know if it was a cameo, but it was just, yeah, it was just cool. Because as soon as they showed him, I'm like, I know that guy. He was in Itawan class. And again, he worked for, for Park Sojun. He was, he was a critical cast member. That was such a fun and funny scene too. Like mm-hmm. when you talk about establishing character and just like the tiniest bit of exposition, which is just them getting their hair buzzed as they join the police academy. And you learn right away who both these dudes are, right? Like you said, mm-hmm. Park Seo Jun afraid about his sideburns. And then Kang Hanul, how sterile are the things? And then go, goes on to tell the guy with the hair clipper how dirty they actually are. And then he just like buzzes and doesn't care. But like while Park Seo Jun is getting his hair clipped and is worrying about his sideburns, you have Kang Hanul just totally flipping him off, which I love as well. Yeah, it was. I agree. It was very a very cool characterization scene, a lot of showing, not telling. Good writing basically. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. I actually do think I would watch it again. I do too, and and not not for the story. I'm gonna go, but you know, back and and reiterate what I said earlier. Like the story was fine, but it's not the reason why I would do a rewatch. Yeah, I would say like, look, normally no, like I like the movie fine, but in this case, yeah, maybe just because I have lust in my heart. I don't know. <laughs> it was truly just a feast for the eyes. Yes, but I do still feel like it was very, like, male gaze oriented. Yes, because it was a lot more fighting than anything else. Absolutely. Yeah, loogie hawking, kind of dumb boys being dumb boys. It's just that somehow I felt like they were able to play it in a way that sometimes that felt a little bit, like, problematic of, like, you know, going in the club and, like, wanting to, like, be with the ladies. But in a way that, like, I mean, it kind of felt relatable to dummy boys when they're young. And... I don't feel like they, neither of them really demonstrated any kind of real toxic masculinity to me through it, which was a kudos, I think, to the movie, because it could have been, it could have been like that. And I feel like they were more innocent. And that's where I'm saying that I felt like there was a little bit more leaning on like just that philosophical, should you be going with the system and the machine or should you be acting out when you can save one person? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that the three of us didn't like was, I forget even who says it, but they use the R word as an insult. And yeah, and I don't know, we we, we don't know, that could be a translation thing. Right, that's what I was wondering. I just wanted to mention it because obviously we don't, (laughs) we don't use that word and we don't like it. Yeah. But yeah, we we don't really know when it comes to translation, what's, what's kind of accurate. So do we have any romance books that involve a cop that we can recommend? I do have one that has an FBI agent, which I think can work. And that is um, Something About You, which is by Julie James. And it is part of the FBI slash U.S. Attorney series. And this is the first book. And it also is an Enemies to Lovers, which I think is kind of fun because we had Enemies to Besties here in Midnight Runners. So I'll read the blurb, which is Fate Has Thrown Two Sworn Enemies. Of all the hotel rooms rented by all the adulterous politicians in Chicago, female assistant U.S. attorney Cameron Lind had to choose the one next to 1308, where some hot and heavy lovemaking ends with a death. And of all the FBI agents in Illinois, it has to be Special Agent Jack Pallas who gets assigned to this high-profile homicide. The same Jack Pallas who blames Cameron for a botched crackdown three years ago and for nearly ruining his career. Working for Cameron Lind? Are they kidding? Maybe, Jack thinks, this is some kind of a welcome back prank after his stint away from Chicago. But it's no joke. The pair is going to have to put their rocking past behind them and focus on the case at hand. That is, if they can cut back on the razor-sharp jibes and smother the flame of their sizzling hot sexual tension. So that is Something About You by Julie James, first in the series of the FBI U.S. Attorney Romance Series. Woohoo! And what's everybody watching? I finished 
My roommate is a Gumio, which I did enjoy. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I thought it was really sweet and funny and the hero was dreamy. I want to say that it's a, it's like a less intense goblin. It kind of gave me some goblin feels to it in the way the conflict, I guess I would say, but it was definitely not like tear your heart out. I mean, I cried a little bit, but it wasn't <laughs> It wasn't like sobbing, you know, to dehydrate yourself like like Goblin. And so next I'm going to start Startup. Ooh, I do love Startup. So I'm excited to talk excited. about that. Yeah, we're doing a deep dive on that soon. So I've had a bit of a wild week where I... Um, <laughs> so I've been watching Into the Ring and really enjoying it. And then I don't know what happened, but I just... Oh, I know what happened. My husband was out of town and we have a TV in our room. And I was like, I'm going to watch some K-Drama on the big TV because I always watch it on my phone. And for some reason, Vicky just wasn't working and I couldn't be bothered to figure it out. So I was just like, you know what? I've got two episodes of Into the Ring left. I'm just going to hold on that and like watch something on Netflix. And I ended up choosing um, Something in the Rain. And I loved it. I'm not going to get into it too much. I think it's going to have to be like a whole snack I do just to talk about it. But I ended up making incredibly poor life choices for like four days straight staying up until <laughs> sometimes like three thirty in the morning watching it and so to the point where amy was like i don't understand how you just finished that drama because i think you just started the drama and that is absolutely correct i think i watched it in like four nights so i'm still exhausted and i blame myself but then last night i stayed up late and finished into the ring because it turned out i was on 14 and i can't math so it was 14 15 16 to finish so I just jammed out into the ring last night, which was also delightful. And I'm really excited. And now I am about to get to pick what I'm going to start next, which is really fun. I put some, I put a question with my uh, like watch list choices on the Instagram and got a lot of different responses. So I need to kind of decide what there I'm going to watch. And then also knowing that hospital playlist is still ongoing and I'm still really like going to watch that every Thursday and hometown cha 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 is coming out on August 28th, which I cannot wait, but it is also going to be coming out on a weekly basis. So I'm the slowpoke here right now because, again, just getting used to back-to-school routine. So I am caught up on Hospital Playlist, so I'm happy about that. And I am almost done with episode one of Into the Ring. Like, I started it but fell asleep not because of the episode but because I cannot keep my head up. Like, the fact that I'm awake right now, it's 9 o'clock my time in the evening. The fact that I'm awake right now is a miracle, and it's good because I have to go write about, you know, a handful of words after this. So... I'm loving Hospital Playlist. I am happy that I'm caught up and I'm excited to watch the next one tomorrow. And Into the Ring, the first episode so far is an absolute total delight. And I'm looking forward to that. And I know that I'm going to have to get that one under my belt soon because that's going to be our next deep dive. So I'm excited for that. And I will agree with you, Megan, that Gusera's hair is everything. Like, I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's its own. Yeah, I love it. It's like it. its own character. And it progressively lets you know her mood i adore her hair it is. it's, it's also gorgeous. just beautiful like i it's a full head of hair so yeah lots of fun stuff coming up and i'm excited for us to deep dive this one yeah and next up next week is basically a show that we're gonna title something like i have questions so basically this is going to be an episode where we do a little research on all the things in k-dramas that we have questions about, you know, things that as Americans, we aren't aware of and we'd like to be. So just like our little ear cleaner research, that's basically um, 
going to be next week. But don't worry, we'll be talking about K-dramas in the midst of it and what made us want to research these things. So we hope you tune in for that. Super excited for that. Me too. And so that's it for tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed and we'll see you next week. Annyeong. Annyeong. <laughs> Annyeong. Kamsamnida. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!